Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Coming into the weekend, you knew it was going to be good because of all the chaos that could happen in terms of playoff seating, the playing tournament, the scoring title, and everything else. In fact, as some people, that MVP may have even still been up for grabs. But the real sign that this was going to be a great, great weekend for basketball was when Rudy Tomjanovich took a moment out of his Hall of Fame speech to shout out another legend, a legend by the name of Sam Cassell. I want to thank Sam Cassell for having big cojones. Right? Hell yes. Hell yes to Sam Cassell and the big balls dance. Hell yes to Rudy T for using the word cojones at the Hall of Fame. And hell yes to Rudy T for going into the Hall of Fame. Man, that is so well-deserved. Five-time All-Star as a player, two-time champion as a head coach, led the U.S. to a gold medal at the 2000 Olympics, and for far too long, he had been known as the guy who was on the receiving end of one of the all-time horribly regrettable punches. A guy who survived having what he said felt like a scoreboard dropping on his head. Like, I'll never forget that quote. It felt like a scoreboard dropped on my head. And now he's in the Hall of Fame, rightfully so, well-deserved, and he just dropped one of the greatest speeches of all time. Rudy T calling out Sam Cassell was nice. Rudy T calling out Sam Cassell's, quote, big cojones was legendary. It was such a great moment. And what it did was it essentially lit the Olympic torch on what was about to become a great, great weekend in the association because that was a strong, strong day. Why don't we run down a few more things that happened? How about the Brooklyn Nets pulling off maybe, maybe the play of the year with this insane action. Check this out. loses it, walking the tightrope. Oh, Blake Griffin, razzle-dazzle. Oh, next level, Kevin Durant, the rack attack. All right, so if you're seeing this on audio, or video, I should say, as opposed to only hearing it on audio, it doesn't begin to do it justice. I mean, it's an amazing play. An amazing play. Mike James tipping the ball away. Blake Griffin with... I mean, as much as it pains me to admit it, an unbelievable no-look-behind-the-back outlet pass to Kyrie, back to James, who went off the glass alley-oop to Kevin Durant. Like, I want to say I've literally never seen anything like that in the association, college, or even on the playground. I mean, there's getting out in transition and pushing it, and then there's that. An amazing play. Now, I'm not saying a play like that means that they're coming out of the East. I'm not saying a play like that means you're going to win the East. But if you're in the East and you see guys who have barely played together doing things like that, and you know they're going to get a few days together and actually spend some time and mesh, you should be pretty worried. Or if you're Steve Nash, you'll see something like that, and this will be your take. My vantage was we think we're cute now. Quote, my vantage was we think we're cute now. Let me hear that one more time. My vantage was we think we're cute now. My vantage was we think we're cute now. That's actually a pretty cute thing to say. I agree, Steve-O. You guys are cute now. 
In fact, you're downright adorable now. I mean, I see you run a break like that, and I think, damn, we're delightful now. Man, you see that? Man, we're endearing. Man, we're charming. We're winsome. We're winsome. Yeah, and potentially nasty as hell. And if that's all that would have happened yesterday, that would have been enough. But that was not it. Far from it. I'm going to get into this right now and then extend it later on, perhaps. But I do want to acknowledge it off the top. You check out Mike Breen accidentally shouting out the fourth meal in the middle of the Celtics-Knicks game. You check this? Randall. Noel keeps it alive, but right to Taco Bell. Here comes Parker. Did I just say Taco Bell? Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. You must be hungry, bro. I need to get some, I need to get some sleep. <laughs> that was awesome, actually. Breen, honored by the Hall of Fame this weekend. So, if my guy's trying hard to stay awake, I get it. Long weekend. Quick turnaround. My man, get yourself a few chalupas and a nap. You've earned it. And some hot sauce in your bag. And there, there's that. And then there was still the matter of the seating. And again, I've got more thoughts on Breen. That was a great moment. That, that deserves a take onto itself. But it was so good that I had to mention it in the opening segment. Then you've got the matter of the seating in the West and the scoring title that still had to be worked out. And Steph Curry answered a number of those questions all by himself. Steph went into yesterday's game against Memphis needing five points to wrap up the scoring title. So he goes for... 46. 46, 9 assists, 7 rebounds. And my man was just doing really comical things like this. He flattens Steph out. He cuts back door. His three is good! I think he passed it late and just drug him all the way out. I mean, that's not just a great play. That's the kind of play that breaks an opponent and breaks the game. And then afterwards, he broke out the Baron Davis celebration for it. And you sense Curry and the Warriors moving in for a little bit of a kill here. Steph in his bag. Man. Oh, man! Hello. <laughs> that was no accident. That was a throwback and a nod to the greats. And Steph was in his bag. He wraps up the scoring title early on. He just keeps right on rolling. Nearly went for a half a hundy. Got the win for Golden State. And now they're the eighth seed in the West. So now it'd be a very, very, very good time for all you dopes who are questioning Steph to get out your bread, get out your fixins, get out your condiments, and make yourself a big ass crow sando. Or if you're not hungry, just get out a big red nose and a pair of floppy shoes because he clowned the hell out of you. Because according to some of you fools, this was supposed to be the year that Steph got exposed. This was supposed to be the year that Steph aged out and was washed and was not hungry enough. And that he was just lucky a few years ago. You know, all those other idiotic takes that were flying around from people who didn't know what the hell they were talking about. And just trying to get you to look at them and react to them. And then you had this junk dad on top of it. You know, that he wasn't going to have Clay, He wasn't going to have KD. So defenses were going to key on him, shut him down, lock him up, and he would be exposed as not nearly the player he was made out to be. Well, you were right about part of that. He didn't have Clay, and he didn't have KD, And defenses did key on him. 
And all he did was become the second player in NBA history to win a scoring title at the age of 33. Yeah, you're right about this too. He was exposed. He did get exposed. Exposed as one of the greatest to ever play the game. Ever. You hear me? One of the greatest players in the history of the game. That's a fact. That's beyond arguing at this point. Don't bring any of that hot take bullcrap debate around here. You can't argue that point. One of the best ever. He didn't need to win another scoring title to prove that. He didn't need to carry this Warriors team into the playoffs to validate anything. But the fact that he did both those things underlies his greatness. He is not a function of playing in a great system or being surrounded by great players. He's great, period. He's great, period. No qualification. The system does not make him great. He makes the system great. The players around him are not making him great. He's making the players around him great. He's a freaking outlier. He's what makes the system great and all the guys around him better too great. So if you were one of those people who ever vomited up that garbage, doubted him before, go ahead and apologize right now because there has never been another guy like Steph Curry. And instead of trying to crack on or discredit him for any number of moronic reasons, you should be giving him credit for revolutionizing the game because he did. And he has never looked better, coming off a significant injury and at age 33. This guy played some MVP caliber ball now. Some of the best ball of his career at a time when some idiots thought the game had passed him by. Hey, but don't take it from me. Don't take it from me. If you're one of those idiots who thinks that I'm an idiot and I have no idea what I'm talking about, maybe. But don't take it from me. Take it from a guy who knows exactly what he's talking about. Take it from LeBron, who says that Steph could and probably should be the MVP. We get, all, we get caught up in a record sometimes. We get caught up in, oh, okay, who's the, who has the best record? And, you know, instead of just saying who had the best season that year. And Steph has had, in my opinion, the, the best season all year. In my eyes, um, he's played the best basketball all year round. Strong praise. Does not get any stronger than that, in fact. So and, and and by the way, that's not LeBron trying to butter up his next opponent or soften him up. And that's LeBron being real. That guy's not throwing that compliment around unless he means it. He's not trying to get into Steph's head because he knows that's not possible. He said it because he believes it. Now the truth is nobody is going to rip the award out of the Joker's hands. But I would have zero complaints if he did. And yes, he's not interested in just making the playoffs as an eighth seed. And I'm sure he's not fired up to be playing in the play-in tournament instead of just going into the field the way an eighth seed normally would. But you know that now that they're there, they're going to bring it. Just check out Draymond Green. My man Draymond Green. This is also one of my favorite quotes in a long time. After the game, Draymond Green was asked... You know, how do you feel about this? You're going into the playing game. How about the fact that you guys play small and what they're throwing at you? And then Draymond went Draymond. People are talking about, oh, you guys are so small and Valanciunas was going to take advantage of his size, which he did a good job. But are you guys almost enjoying the dog? <laughs> Straight like that. I don't know how else to tell you. People have been going at me for, for years with centers. They've been going at Loom for years. That 
ain't worked yet. We dogs, so keep trying it. <laughs> hey, Draymond, we, we, that is the perfect way to end the interview right wow. there. And an awesome moment. He literally went with an MF bomb on live TV right to it. Hey, what do you think about them uh, kind of going at you guys and you guys being small and not respected? Quote, man, we are mother bleeping dogs. That's just how it is. People been talking about, oh, you guys are so small and Valanciunas was going to take advantage of his size, which he did a good job. But are you guys almost enjoying the dog? <laughs> Straight like that. I don't know how else to tell you. People have been going at me for, for years with centers. They've been going at Loom for years. That ain't worked yet. We dogs, so keep trying it. Hey, Draymond, wait, wait. that is the perfect way to end the interview. I love that, man. The second it was even posed as a question, he went right to it. I am a mother bleeping dog straight up like that people have been trying this for years and that bleep ain't working keep trying and it wasn't a drop the mic moment not just that that was a drop the headset moment and I would even go one step further that does not just sum up Draymond it sums up Steph Curry too those two are mother bleeping dogs people have been going at them like that for years and that bleep ain't working so keep trying. And now, those mother bleeping dogs get to come down to L.A. to take on the mother bleeping champs in the playing game Wednesday night. And if you think that Adam Silver isn't mother bleeping cackling and chest pumping everybody in that league office, then you're wrong. As wrong as you were when you thought that Steph Curry was going to get exposed. Again, I know why guys on the 7 and 8 seeds do not want this extra game, but I know why the league does. And now they've got Steph v. LeBron. Steph v. LeBron in a plan. Nothing is better, no matter how much they hate it. Because as much as they hate it, I love it, and I can't wait to see it. But I'm guessing deep down LeBron hates it. Whoever came up with that need to be fired. But whatever. Fired. Whoever came up with that bleep should be given a raise and a promotion. He or she should have a nice, fat corner office with two stand-up iPads and a big-ass hand sanitizer pump. That intern or middle management guy who came up with that did pretty much almost as much for the NBA as my main man David Stern ever did. Just kidding. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not as much as D. Stern. But a hell of a lot, though. Hey, you know what? Small changes towards a healthier lifestyle can add up in a big way. But maybe you're not sure where to begin. Let me talk to you about Grove Collaborative. Running to the store has been pretty stressful of late. And there's nothing worse than forgetting something on your list and needing to make multiple trips. Shopping for home essentials should be easy and convenient. And that's where Grove Collaborative comes in. Healthy, plant-based, non-toxic cleaning products that work. And the good ones are actually more enjoyable to use. But where do you start and who do you trust? Grove Collaborative. Grove is the online marketplace that delivers healthy home, beauty, and personal care products directly to you. Grove Collaborative takes the guesswork out of going green. Browse the site for thousands of home, beauty, and personal care products, all guaranteed to be good for you, your family, your home, and your planet. So join over 2 million households who have trusted Grove Collaborative to make their homes happier and healthier, and shipping is fast and free on your first order. 
Making the switch to natural products has never been easier. For a limited time, when you go to grove.co slash Rome, you will get to choose a free gift with your first order of $30 or more. But you have to use our special code. Go to grove.co slash Rome to get your exclusive offer. That's grove.co slash Rome. He is Dan Wojcicki. Dan, what's going on? How are you? Jim, I, I am a, a very proud owner of that Bill Belichick football card. I want to make sure that that gets in there, too. It was a good, uh, on my way back from the Hall of Fame, I stopped in Chicago quick to, to see my parents, um, you know, so like a, a post-vaccination celebration. And uh, I'm digging through a, a mountain of trading cards because, you know, the, the market is so hot right now. Um, not only did I find a Bill Belichick, I also found a um, a uh, En Vogue and Fleetwood Mac set of uh trading cards as well so um i'm coming home a very rich man that's incredible it's like you were mining for gold and look what you found man that's absolutely incredible so are you going to (laughs) retire you know i i don't do this for the money anyway jim i don't tell my bosses i said that but this is all for the love anyway see dan thing is whenever somebody says it's not about the money it's about one thing the money except for you i believe (laughs) you i know it's not about the money all right so let me ask you this you got a piece in the la times today you made the point that the lakers really never had control of their season lay that out for me what do you mean by that i mean i think um you know they were a team where they kind of they thought they'd be starting in January, late January. Um, I think, you know, after MLK Day, like a lot of NBA teams, um, and there were, this isn't to make excuses for them, but there were circumstances from that point on that kind of never really enabled them to, to reach their full potential. And some of those circumstances were completely out of their control. Um, you know, um, organizationally speaking, at least, right? Like Anthony Davis, um, starting very slowly um, after playing so well at the end of the season, you know, had a, had a real clear sort of, I think I thought at least an MVP window this year. Um, and he wasn't up for it, um, you know, and, and obviously not even close to winning that award. Um, you know, you have kind of a free play with Solomon Hill and LeBron James. Um, you, you make that Andre Drummond trade and, and, you know, the, he's here for a day and then he loses a toenail and then he's missing games and, Schroeder and the, the, the COVID protocols twice. It, it was, you, you know, they were always reactionary to everything. Um, and so to me, it made perfect sense that as, you know, kind of the will they or won't they um, in terms of them making the playing tournament, it, you know, they had nothing to do with deciding that either. Um, you know, they needed help. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see now um, as they kind of play uphill for the, entirety of the playoffs so they're, if they're able to, to, to pull this off. But, um, you know, the, they, they were never really able to, to grab the season's destiny so far, kind of kind of by the horns, and, and, and this will be their, I, I guess, a chance to do it. They're, they're sort of healthy. Dan Wojcicki's joining us. So, Dan, what do you think about that? They are sort of healthy, and they're starting to sort of gel. I hear exactly what they're saying. I'm listening to what's coming out of their mouths. But what do you think they're actually thinking? For instance, what's your sense as to how concerned they are about having to go up against Golden State in the playing game? I mean, they should be. They should have a, a healthy fear. Um, I think if they were playing Golden State in a five-game series or a seven-game series, I don't think they should be even a little bit afraid. Um but I mean, is there, you know, not to mix sports metaphors, is there like a better, better knockout puncher in the NBA than Steph Curry? Like just a guy who could just like, I mean, he could score 60 points and I mean, that's reasonable. <laughs> you right. know, I, 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 it's not like some just like total, like, well, anything can happen 60 
points. It's like, it's pretty easy to talk yourself. I mean, he just had 46, um, you, you know, in a, in, a, in a win yesterday. So um, that's scary. It, it should be scary. Now, look, um, they'll be favored. Um, they're at home. They'll be at home. They, they have a little bit of a safety net, even if they lose. But, um, you know, you know, to, to me, yeah, I mean, they're frightening. I mean, really, if we're, if we're being honest, right, the only the only other more frightening team they could probably see in the playing tournament is the Lakers, um, which is why it's kind of a fun matchup, right, is that you do have, you know, not only a, a, a healthy Lakers team, but, you know, one that should be at least moderately fresh, um, you know, after Anthony Davis and LeBron James got big chunks of time off during the regular season. Um, yeah, they don't have a lot of chemistry. Um, they certainly don't have any on-court continuity, but they've got more talent than maybe anybody else in the Western Conference. And so, I mean, there we—I mean, we saw it yesterday. It certainly seemed like a lot of teams were were kind of doing what they could to make sure that they would avoid the Lakers. Um, and, and so, we should be cognizant of that when we talk about you know how afraid teams are and stuff like that, um, or how afraid the Lakers should be of the Warriors. I mean, everybody's pretty afraid of the Lakers, it seems like. But uh, I, I mean. I don't know, standing across like Steph Curry, like that that would make me nervous. For sure. I think you made a great point when you say, hey, look, it's not unreasonable to think this guy could get 60. That's not just something you throw out there. I mean, he could get 60. I'm looking at the line right now. It's kind of curious. Lakers are minus four and a half. So let me ask you this. If you had to call your shot right now, Dan, who's coming out of the West and who's coming out of the East? Oh, my God. Um, I, 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 I know. I wish I had a good answer for you. And I think that that's honestly like kind of the exciting part of this, this postseason is that like, to me, you can make really good arguments. I mean, I think like without like getting like, I, I think maybe Utah in the West, um, that, and the argument for Utah is that like, we've got 72 games worth of data. Um, you know, they've been really good and, and, but look, they've got their questions too. You know, um, Donovan Mitchell needs to come back. He needs to prove that he's healthy. They don't really have a chance without him. But that offense has been great. Um, we know, obviously, the defensive sort of pedigree, and, and, like, this is such a weird season, so why not have kind of like a weird team be, be, be the, the, the crew that represents it? I think it's Brooklyn in the East. Um, you know, I, I, I really truly believe in talent, which is why I'm tempted to say the Lakers, honestly, is that you just kind of roll with whoever's got the most talent. Um, but uh, it's really uh, the West in particular is. I mean, you can make in my in my mind like pretty much compelling arguments for, you know, the Suns, yeah, the Clippers. Um, it's hard to see Denver um, with the Jamal Murray injury. But I mean, I could talk myself into Portland. Um, you know, I could talk myself into to Luka Doncic getting hot for you know four weeks and, and carrying a team. Um, I could talk myself into Lakers figuring it out. Uh, I'm sure I, I, I missed somebody, but it's. But the Western Conference to me, it's as it's as level as it's been in a long time, and that's um, that's why I'm I'm really looking forward to the next month or so, just because I think we'll finally get answers to questions that I've had since you know probably January. I think it's all reasonable. And before you go, Dan, the weekend was not only about seeding for the playoffs; it was also the newest class being inducted into the Basketball Hall of yeah. Fame. You were in Kentucky for that. Obviously, Kobe Bryant was inducted, but was not, and but was a huge part of the weekend without being there. What do you make of how that was handled? Um, I thought it was. I thought it was well done. You, you know, it, it's you know being in the room um, while that happened. Um, you, you know, you you do uh, you hear it in Kevin Garnett. Like I heard it, really heard it with Tamik Catchings, and, and really heard it with Tim Duncan. As you hear people talk about, like it's their life's work. You know, and, and, and Jim, you're a Hall of Famer. 
like I mean, it's 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 proud. It's your life's work that that you're kind of digesting and 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 you're reflecting upon. And um, you know, there's a lot of emotion in that. I I, I think because I mean, it was a little awkward um, and you know, sad because you're sad that Kobe Bryant is is not here for for those things. You're sad that he wasn't there to give a speech. Um, you know, whether it was to go like full full MJ and just like, just nuke like anybody who's ever been, um, sort of an enemy or anything like that, or, um, you know, to kind of be gregarious and, and self-facing. Like, I, I don't know. I think you would have done well with it. Um, but it, but it's, you, you know, you want that moment to be a celebration and, and, and obviously because of the tragedy, um, you, you know, which it, for most, uh, like for me, at least, you know, I haven't covered it. Um, most of the time, like that tragedy has felt like kind of a long time ago. Um, it felt very recent, I would say, this weekend. Still, like, kind of seeing everybody together and seeing kind of how that wound is still so open for so many people, um, that kind of made it difficult to navigate. But but it was a nice event. And, um, you know, and, and, and I think having never covered one before, um, it was cool to be in the room. Um, I could watch Tim Duncan um, talk to, to about Greg Popovich forever. Like, that was great. And like I said, I thought Tamika Ketchum was awesome. It, it was nice. I could watch Tim Duncan talk about anybody forever because that would be great because he rarely spoke when he played, yeah. right? <laughs> feels, Whatever this guy wants to so talk new. about, I'm into. <laughs> it all feels so new. Yeah, no, you're right. Dan Wojcik covering the Lakers and the NBA for the LA Times, a panelist on our daily TV show back in the day. That's when I got to know him, and I knew that he would end up doing what he's doing right now, just killing it. And the owner of a Bill Belichick football card. Hey, man, don't lose that thing. You're holding a lottery ticket. Take care of that thing, Dan. I'm I'm waiting for the uh, the card grading system to come back up, and I want to make sure that's a gem in ten. That's nice my job. Hope. Hey, you want to hear something absolutely amazing? Discover matches all the cash back that you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically, with no limit on how much you can earn. Now, how amazing is that? No limit. In fact, it's even more amazing when you consider all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. That's where. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. Discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations do apply. In its existence, I planted my flag here on this show and I made a bet on it. And I said, I like it. And I know other people are going to like it, and we're going to learn it, and we're going to talk about it. David in Houston was not one of those guys. If you really want to see a slugfest, watch the classic fights. Watch uh, Robinson against any one of those guys, Sugar Ray Robinson. That's real fighting. This is just a sign of how society is decaying. It's not fighting. It's two guys, they throw punches, then they get on the ground and hump each other. It's disgusting, Jim. It's not, by the way, it's not two guys. It's also two guys and two ladies, but it's not two guys or two gals who, quote, throw a couple of punches, then get on the ground and hump each other. And it's disgusting, Jim. An all-time call. So you, you ask me, I check out this weekend's action, UFC 262, a lightweight title fight between Charles Oliveira and Michael Chandler. Perfect, perfect illustration as to why the sport is so amazing. I mean, that fight was incredible. The entire fight was incredible. Now, again, having said that, getting to the main event for some viewers might have been very, very difficult. 
let's just say the fights leading up to Oliveira and Chandler were not for cyclist Brad and his crew. And I'm not saying they're wrong. You remember Brad. Brad was the dude who emailed the program after Chris Weidman had his leg snapped in half a few weeks back. And for the record, that's really not for anybody. Like, if you like that sort of thing, then you're a little too much even for me. I'm just saying they know what they signed up for, and I know what I signed up for every time I get one of those pay-per-views. It could happen. But Brad, you'll recall, set the jungle ablaze by saying that he could never get with a barbaric sport. And then he warred humanity on the way out the door. Let's just say Brad was not getting converted on Saturday night. Joaquin, however, our famous emailer, and his dudes in their affliction shirts and long khaki pants were absolutely loving it. I love him. Wherever Joaquin is. I don't know what happened to this guy. You know, Joaquin, his dudes, and their ladies with their ocular discharge. Yeah, well, they won the night for sure. Because between a legend's arm snapping... A dude going shell-shocked on his feet like Mortal Kombat. And then five seconds later, stumbling over. And Tony Ferguson, dude. Tony Ferguson's knee popping. And him still refusing to tap. It was bleeping intense. Even for that promotion. And it was amazing. I enjoyed it. I can understand where maybe Brad did not. And how it's not for everybody. But Brad did miss why so many others not named Joaquin love that sport. Because no other sport in the world could really offer up what happened in the Oliveira Chandler Championship Fister. A couple of dudes scrapping for Khabib's vacant title. Two dudes, mind you, who have worked their entire lives with different approaches and different backgrounds to finally get their shots at the UFC strap. Michael Chandler. I already laid out his story in part, but you might recall he had been a longtime champion in another promotion. A guy who always looked on at the world's premier organization wanting to test his skills against the best in the world. The other guy, Oliveira, a man now, but really he joined the UFC as a kid back in 2010. He turned pro at age 18. A dude who's had so many ups and downs throughout his time in the octagon that it took a 2017 loss to Paul Felder for things to finally start to click. This guy at one point was 10-8. and eight. The Phenom was 10-8 and eight overall, and it was easy to wonder at that point if he was ever going to figure it out. Then he hits his stride, starts to realize this enormous potential, and he had won eight straight entering Saturday night. Now, the fight Saturday night lasted just over six minutes, but it was bleeping intense. It was an amazing six minutes. Michael Chandler, as I mentioned, who I've spoken to a number of times, went in and did exactly what he said that he would do. Apply pressure, bring the fight right to Oliveira, right at him. In other words, the very things that got him a title shot in the first place in just his second UFC fight. A lot of that. Extremely powerful dude. Powerful physically, powerful mentally, and he just knocks the guys the hell out. He was giving him the hands. Oliveira countered his pressure by shooting a double leg. Chandler catches him in a guillotine, and the fight for a second looked like it was over. I mean, intense as hell. I'm thinking, holy crap, 
Mike is going to finish this freak. It's over. It's freaking over. Chandler is going to win this thing, and he's going to do so by submission in the first round. But then it wasn't. Oliveira slipped out of it and got Chandler's back. Now, if you know anything at all about MMA, and you know anything at all about the UFC, and Charles Oliveira, he is a submission artist. He is one of the best finishers in the entire sport. At that point, even Chandler fans knew that he had no chance. They knew he was done. Four minutes left in the round, and Oliveira had your guys back. And he's an absolute wizard in that position. Once again, the UFC's all-time leader in wins by submission. He gets a body triangle on, and his arms are cinched under Chandler's neck. Lights out. Shut it down. Let's go home, right? Never, ever underestimate the heart of Michael Chandler. Dude gets out, and then he makes the Brazilian pay. This is all still going on in the same first round. And then just starts letting the hands go. With two minutes left, he dumps Oliveira, and he goes for blood. Honestly, again, I thought he had the fight won. I thought the referee was going to jump in. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I can't believe this. My dude is going to be the new lightweight champion of the world. What an amazing story. What an amazing fight. First round's not even over. Somehow, someway, Oliveira stays active enough. The buzzer sounds. He survives. But you can tell he was hurt and wobbly and shaken. And he did not look good stumbling back to the corner. I don't know what the hell happened in that one minute. I mean, I saw it. I watched it. I heard what they were telling their fighter. But I don't know what the hell happened in that one minute between those two rounds because he nearly lost in the first and he did not look good when he got back to his corner. But then the second round began. Alvin hit it. A standing ovation for the athletes here in Houston as round two gets underway. Chandler working off of that jab early. Quote, DC said, he's got blood on his boss. He's got blood on the boss. Clones, blood on his boss. That's what he said. Not what you think he said. And it's because the new UFC lightweight champ, Charles freaking Oliveira, and not Michael Chandler, jumped out of the octagon and took an incredible victory lap, starting with seeing Dana White, his boss. And rightfully so. You got to give this guy credit. To start the second round, seemingly with the needle on E already, the guy goes forward, takes the center of the octagon, and then takes Chandler's chin. Nobody thought it was going to end like that, except for maybe Oliveira. And not just that he finished a stud in Michael Chandler, but how he finished him with incredible strikes, perfect strikes, perfectly technical strikes. Man, short. Crisp, right on the button. It was amazing. 
Like I said, the entire fight was amazing, and the entire fight ended 19 seconds into the second round. I mean, that really was the sport at its absolute best. Everything on the, on the line, Oliveira looking dead on arrival, the second round starts, and then he does that. You can hear even the announcer say, it's incredible, that's our sport, that's how quickly it can change. And then for all of you questioning Oliveira's power, you, know, you can't do that anymore because it's not often that Michael Chandler gets finished. He's usually the dude dusting others. Again, that is the amazing thing about that sport. It was over. Man, it was over. Chandler had won. His entire life was going to change. He was spectacular. His life's work was on the biggest stage for all the world to see. Give him his strap. Let him enjoy the fruits of his intense labor. And then yet 19 seconds later, it had completely flipped in an instant. Only in MMA. It's insane. And what a tough, tough loss for Michael Chandler. You know that's going to eat at him for a long time. However, my man, he's got a different mindset now. Most men would break. He was already pushing positive thoughts out and already said he had a new goal, that he would get that strap back within 12 months. We'll see if that happens. I don't know if that will happen. I don't know if he'll get the opportunity, but I know he will do everything in his power to make that happen. What an incredible fight that was, Alvy. He's wow. got blood on the boss. Look at that. He got blood on the boss. Uh. Clones, boss. Blood on his Boss. Boss. Ah. Ah. And now the boss has got some tough, tough decisions to make. Who does Charles get next? Because even without Khabib, the 155-pound division is an absolute mother. I mean, in a word, bah! Ah. Hey, Joaquin, where are you? Where are you, Joaquin? used to be that I could never even mention the UFC or MMA at all. And I could count on you coming in. Joaquin, did, maybe life changed and maybe you don't have time for it. I get it. Or maybe you finally, finally, finally ran out of material. I know I said finally. that you would years ahead of time, but maybe you finally did. Uh, hey, Joaquin. Uh, Wild night. Wild night in H-Town in front of a packed house. It's Small Business Month, and Dell Technologies and Windows are celebrating your unstoppable drive. Save up to 45% on powerful PCs with Windows 10 Pro to work from anywhere and top monitors and docks for the ultimate business setup, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Speak to a Dell Technologies advisor who can help you find the right business tech, server, storage, and cloud solutions at 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL for Small Business Month savings. He is Ross Tucker. Ross, what's going on? How are you? Jim, fantastic, man. Always good to talk with you. You too, Ross. Thanks so much. Listen, I want to start uh, with you on something a little bit different this time. A lot I want to get to, but let's start with the fact that over the weekend, you participated in the Cleveland Virtual 5K, and the reason you did so was to raise money for the Concussion Legacy Foundation. I want to ask you about this because I've never seen, you've never done anything quite like that before. What inspired you to do it this time? Yeah, you know, I I almost feel bad about it, Jim. I've never a charity or a good cause on my own. Or a buddy's wife, and they're doing something. I always donate a hundred bucks or whatever. I think I will do. But uh, recently, I, I was talking with Chris Nowinski, who I played against. He was a Harvard D lineman. He's the head of the Concussion Legacy Foundation. 
And really, if you've ever seen anything like on HBO or any TV shows or whatever, Chris is the guy that's in charge of doing unbelievable work. And he reached out. He said, listen, it's virtual. You don't have to be in Cleveland. You really just need to do the 5K. The key is going out and actually getting some people to donate some money. And, you know, Jim, it's a cause that's near and dear to my heart because I know some guys are starting to have some cognitive issues. You never know what could happen to me down the line. And Chris is, I mean, he's changing the world. I guess I felt like the least I could do was help him raise some money while he's in the process of changing the world and making it a better place. So we're able to raise a decent amount of money, I think, you know, 6500 bucks, something like that. So I was really happy to help. Good for you. So let me ask you really quickly, Ross, to your point, you're a young guy. So what's it like for you to see people you know dealing with these issues? Well, uh, you know, to be fair, most of the guys I know that are dealing with the issues are guys that are older than me. Uh, it seems like in their 60s, uh, some in their 50s. So I don't know that any of us, there's a lot of factors, right? So we know that repetitive hits to the head over time, it's not a good thing. Um, it's been described to me as sort of like smoking cigarettes where, you know, there's people that can smoke a pack a day and they never have an issue. There's people that smoke, you know, one cigarette a day, they end up getting lung cancer. So you don't really know how it's going to manifest itself in you individually, but you know, we see Tunch Ilkin, the voice of the Steelers, has ALS. Steve McMichael has ALS. A lot of these guys are early 60s. You know, I'm 42, and uh, I don't know. I told my wife, um, let, let's plan on having an awesome 20 years. I, I don't exactly know what's going to happen after that, hmm. um, but but certainly it seems like you know a lot of these guys start to have issues in their early 60s. And it is scary because it's it's kind of the unknown. And, you know, I have short arms, Jim, but a big head, as you know. I use my head a lot. Like, I, I, I headbutted dudes all the time. When I went up to a linebacker, the first thing I would do was headbutt the guy to kind of make him blink. But back then, from, you know, 12 years old to 2008, you know, my seventh year in the NFL, you know, we just didn't know what we didn't know at that point. So... Um, look, that's nothing I can do about that now. What I can do is I can walk around a track 12 and a half times to raise some money for the Concussion Legacy Foundation so they can continue the advanced research. And uh, they're getting real close to being able to diagnose CTE in living people, which would be huge. Ross Tucker joining us. Ross, I so appreciate your thoughts on that. And I know the listeners are like, okay, yeah, we got it, Rome. Can you move on to football? And yes, I could. But I do want to follow up on something you just said. When you said to your wife, hey, listen, you know, I'm 41, early 40s. Let's have an amazing 20 years. Like, what was her response to that? She understands. Um, she, she's aware enough of the potential issues that she's aware that, and she's talked with some other wives. And so she's aware that, you know, at some point, uh, it, there could be issues, you know, we're obviously hoping that there's not, but she's aware that that's a possibility. And so I just, I think she appreciates and understands why I really want to max out our next 20 years, uh, whatever that means, right? Whatever, you know, we all in life have a certain amount of quality time left. I don't care if you're 85 years old, 75, 65, 55, whatever. Um, 
I just want to make the most of that quality time left. And by the way, Jim, like, let's just say I get to 62 and I'm having no issues and I'm totally fine. And hopefully that's the case. I'll still be happy. I tried to max out the 20 years before. I mean, that's, that's, that's how how everybody, we all should. We all should. Exactly, Ross. And I, I appreciate your thoughts on that. And we all should. We should all be trying to max out whatever time we have left. Because not to be morbid, but I don't care whether you play in the NFL or not. We never know when it's our time. We should try to max out every single day, every single hour, and make it our best day and live our best life. Of course. But I do appreciate your thoughts on that a lot, Ross. Ross Tucker joining us. All right, Ross, let me move on to some football. You recently spoke to Matt Nagy. And you talked with him about the selection of Justin Fields. What did he tell you about the process of drafting Fields? Well, what I thought was most interesting, Jim, is, you know, there became this whole narrative about Fields leading up to the draft where a lot of people in the media would say, I have no idea why he's falling. Like, what? why is he falling? I don't understand. There's nothing wrong with him. He's, he's a great prospect. And, and look, he's a really good prospect. But I asked Matt Nagy about the Indiana and Northwestern games because those are the games that people brought up a lot. You know, when you talk to people who actually studied the tape, those are the games that, that they brought up, and he acknowledged it. I mean, he said, listen, those are, the teams that, those are the games that people bring up. He took some sacks, had some interceptions, some decision-making. You know, he spun it into a positive and, and discussed how – Justin was able to handle that adversity, the way he conducted himself on the sideline. Ohio State still won those games, and obviously it didn't really dissuade Matt Nagy. They traded up to get, to get him at number 11. Bears fans are excited, and they should be. But it's just, to me, it was like, here's the guy that loves him so much, he traded up to get him, and he even acknowledges the guy had that two bad games. So people are like, why wasn't he the next quarterback drafted? Well, you know, we know what Trevor Lawrence is, Jim. And then, look, I mean, it, Zach Wilson had almost a perfect year. I mean, he, he had almost a perfect season. Mac Jones had almost a perfect season. Trey Lance didn't play. So you have Lawrence's, you know, the guy we talked about for three years. You had two guys almost threw a perfect game this past season. You had another guy that didn't play. You know, out of the five guys, Fields is like the only one that, you know, showed a couple of flies in the ointment, so to speak, last season. We're talking to Ross Tucker. I agree with that. I think that makes sense to me. I, I think the guy's got tremendous upside. I'm really excited to see how he does, but I think it's fair to question, you know, like what what was going on? Why did he drop? Well, there might be your answer. Now, you also made a really interesting point last week, Ross, about the Eagles and Jalen Hurts. And you said that if the Eagles were to go 9-8 and eight this season, for instance, you don't know that they'll get the clarity that they might be looking for from Hurts. Lay this out for me. I mean, like, what, what does he have to do and what kind of a season do they have to have to know that this is, in fact, the guy going forward? Well, it's funny because I, I went on a show and they were asking me after the Eagles' schedule came out, because I do the Eagles' preseason games, what I thought their record might be. And I think, you know, we went through it game by game, and it ended up the Eagles being 9-8, and eight, which I think is realistic, by the way. I mean, there's a lot of people out there, uh, because of, you know, trading went, et cetera, that feel like the Eagles are going to have a really bad year. I mean, Jim, they're pretty good up front, both sides of the ball. They clearly are not conceding anything. I mean, they signed Ryan Kerrigan today, a 32-year-old DN to a one-year deal. You don't do that 
if you don't think you have a shot to win your division, and, it, you know, look, as, as good as Carson was his first four years, that's how bad he was last year. So my point, Jim, was if Hertz is just like the 25th best quarterback in the NFL, maybe even 28th, I think the Eagles are a 500 team, maybe a little bit better than that. Wentz was arguably the worst quarterback in the NFL. I mean, the most sacks, the most picks. If Hurts just doesn't do that, the Eagles could have a very solid season. The, the, the issue I feel like, though, Jim, is if he has a very solid season, then what do the Eagles do? Right? Like, if he plays great and they know he's the guy, then they know he's the guy. That's awesome. If he plays poorly and they know he's not, that's why they very likely have three first-round picks and they can do, you know, they got a lot of flexibility to get a franchise quarterback next year. If they go eight and nine, nine and eight, and he plays pretty good, shows some improvement, it's almost like it might put them in a tough spot if they're in in in, in no man's land, right? Like right right in the middle, like that might put them in a in an interesting spot there. Hey, Russ, I can guarantee one thing, and you're right. You lay out a scenario where what if this happens or what if that happens? I can guarantee something that's not going to happen. They're not going to be a 500 football team. Like, how weird is that to say, <laughs> what if they're 9-8? and eight? Isn't that a weird thing to say? You know what's so funny? When I, that, that, tweet that, uh, that tweet that you referenced when I said that the Eagles, you know, uh, I think they'll go 9-8. and eight. I saw multiple replies from people. It was like a local sports talk station, right? Uh, Local sports news station. I saw multiple replies to people saying, did the NFL add a 17th game? Right. It's so funny, Jim, because you and I do this every day, right? So we talked about the 17th game a lot. There's a lot of people, and I would include, Jim, some of my buddies. You know, my buddies love the Eagles. My buddies love the NFL. But they really just, watch the games on Sunday during the season. You know what I mean? Like, they, they got jobs. They got kids. You know, they're into the Sixers being the number one seed right now. There are people that watch most of the Eagles games or most NFL games. They legitimately don't even know that there's 17 games yet. Like, <laughs> so that, funny. that is – I find that fascinating. I would love to know, you know, out of the 120 million people that watch the Super Bowl, right, how many of them don't know that the NFL added a game? All of them. I mean, a lot of them don't. Most of them. All of them. Everybody except like the 30 people we know who host shows and podcasts. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it's really funny. It really is. And really quickly, Ross, like the NFL schedule dropped last week. When you were playing, how much did it matter who you were playing and where and when you were playing them? Like, you know, it's become like this cottage industry right now. But as a player, how important was it to you when that thing dropped? And how closely did you look at it? It's so funny that you say that because I literally had Warren Sharp from Sharp Football on the Ross Tucker podcast today, and he's the best guy in terms of breaking down the schedule when he says the Bears play six teams with extra rest, other teams play zero. I mean, he, he's got it down to a science. Jim, we never talked about any of that. I never heard any of that. You know what I would look at? I would look at when the bye week was. And then if there was a Thursday night game or whatever, back then we played Thanksgiving, I'd look for that. And because I wanted to know what weekend I had off to see if I could go back home to high school game or my college alma mater. We never looked at it. You know, you might glance at when the primetime games, Jim, you know this. 
and this will blow some of your listeners away. When it's week three during the NFL season, okay, at least half the players on the team do not know who the team plays week five. They do not know. They don't. I mean, they could look it up, but if you asked them, like if you got a guy, you should try that next year, like during the season, get a guy on like in week six, and just for that, it'd be like, hey, who do you guys play in three weeks? He'll be like, uh, he, he will not know. Because once you get into it, you, you just you don't look ahead like that. You don't even care. I mean, like, Ross, is it because guys are oblivious and they're not tactical and they're maybe not as professional? Or is it because coaches are constantly hammering into their heads, hey, man, you know, stay in the process, stay in the moment, be present, be where your feet are? Is it anything about that or guys just don't really know and really don't care? Well, so, so the fans, right, the fans need to buy the hotel room or they need to know what tickets they're going to use. They need to get the logistics. Like, there are no logistics for right. the player. You, you, like, like, you take the team playing to the game and you play. So they don't need to worry about it. Yes, I think part of it is the coach. But the, the first game is the only one the coaches ever talk about. It's the only one you point to. You do know who the opener is. And, and you'll have a buddy of yours text you and be like, hey, that, that Dallas game on Monday night in November is going to be sweet. And you'll be like, you'll give him a thumbs up uh, emoji text back. <laughs> just to end the conversation because like, you're, you're like, yeah, bro, like, what are, what are you supposed to say to that? Right? You I love that. Up. But it doesn't really matter. It's it just like, and maybe part of it, Jim, was because I was always battling either for a roster spot or a starting spot. But even the start, like, I mean, you would just be amazed. Like, even like the guys that are stars, they just don't really care that much or look at it. It's, it's not productive. It, it, it's, it's not conducive to success looking ahead later on in the year. You know, what's conducive to success is what you do every day on your show, which is you grind and you dominate. That's the same thing that players do. Like, they're concerned. Uh, like if I was a player, today I'd be concerned about my inside hand against the bull rusher. Like, that's what matters. Getting better with my inside hand against the bull rusher, who we play, you know, playing Cleveland in Week 10 is the least of my concern. It's amazing. What a great analysis that was. Ross Tucker joining us. Like, I'm already late. I'm already getting heat and pressure from the guys across the glass, whatever. And really quickly, what's more offensive? The thumbs up sign where a guy effectively is saying, hey, man, I don't want to talk to you. Or no response where you can at least pretend like they didn't see it. No, thumbs up is thumbs up is fine because thumbs up's like, okay, he's not that into it, but like at least he replied to me. The no reply thing, I think it, I, I've never been a no reply guy. I think it's so disrespectful. Like, you got the text, bro. And, and don't come back at me with, you're too busy. You think you're busier than me? You think you're busier than me? I mean, like, everybody's busy. You just don't care enough. So, no, thumbs up is fine. It, it is what it is. At least it, there is an acknowledgement like, yeah, what, what else am I supposed to say to that? Like, okay, yeah, he acknowledged it. It's the, the no no reply is unbelievably disrespectful in my mind. I think you're right, Ross. There's not an appropriate response by you, but any kind of response other than the thumbs up is you've opened up the door and now it's a, quote, conversation and you don't want that. I, I hate to do it, Ross. You and I could do this for hours, and I wish we could. But, well, you know, Ross, you're in the business now. Man, there are clocks. My man... Really appreciate you. Great talking to you, Ross. And be sure, everybody, check out my front page story. He is an NFL analyst. Check him out at Ross Tucker NFL. Ross, what can I say, man? You're the best. Thanks so much, dude.
guess what, Jim? That was awesome. Nobody else would do the research you and your crew did about the charity and what I did over the weekend and then ask the follow-up questions like you did. That was awesome. Thank you so much. We should all be able to agree upon this, but we can't, but we should. Point being, prank humor is one of the lowest forms of humor. Unless you're one of the guys from Jackass, pranks generally are dumb and not that funny. When it comes to absolute hilarity, it's right there next to shouting, not at the end of a sentence. Or honking in somebody's backswing. Actually, that is pretty funny still. But I'll tell you what's not, man. Prank bullcrap. And no one thinks it's funny other than the D-bag who comes up with it. So now let's move on to sports pranks and whether or not they're funny. Generally not. But I know that when it comes to sports pranks, that oftentimes the season is so long, guys have no choice but to keep themselves entertained. And in a lot of ways, I'm not trying to paint athletes with a broad stroke, but let's face it, a lot of these guys are like arrested development, all right? Some of these guys are just kind of trapped, trapped in that time warp where they're just not, they just didn't mature, man. They're still that same person they were way back in the day. So, like, they entertain themselves with hot foots. Or maybe they got nothing better to do than try to get Rex Hudler to eat a bug. Eat it, Hud. Or they convince the fans that the Mets are going to be good. You know, whatever it takes you to get through the day. Or in this case, a marathon season. But again, that's where sports pranks should begin and end. And you know what they should never include? This story, a story which happened to former Austin P defensive back, Wontarius Bryant. So this guy tweets out a story on Saturday that's one of the more infuriating things you're going to hear in a long time. Check this out. Apparently somebody, according to Bryant, somebody from a 404 area code reached out to contact him and pretended to be Falcons D coordinator Dean Pease. Yes, clones, I'm aware of his last name. I've long been aware of his last name. He's a well-respected coach in the NFL. Grow the hell up. Anyway, the contact resulted in an invitation to Falcons rookie minicamp for Bryant. You know, the stuff of dreams. You get a shot like that. That's the kind of thing you dream about and work for as a player from a small school. All the time, man, all the sacrifice, the blood, the sweat, the tears. But if you haven't figured it out yet, by my word choice, the person with the 404 area code was not Dean Pease. And the invitation to the Falcons rookie minicamp was not real. But for Bryant, who is pursuing his NFL dream after a really nice college career, did not know that. He didn't realize that. Not until, quote, I traveled to the facility for rookie minicamp check-in on Wednesday, May 12th. End of quote. So this guy is all hyped. He's jacked up. He thinks that he's been invited to minicamp and he's going to get a chance to pursue his dream. To try to earn a spot in the league. Only to find out that somebody had his number and pretended to be Dean Pease and the invitation was fake. Quote, It's definitely one of the most embarrassing things that has ever happened to me and a very humbling experience. 
Just want to apologize to everyone in the Atlanta Falcons organization for the mix-up. I honestly thought it was a legit opportunity on my end. End of quote. One of the worst things I've ever heard. I mean, honestly, it's brutal. You think you're getting a chance to pursue your dream. You probably call your friends, your family, your coaches, your trainer. You tell everybody, hey, man, I got the call. I'm going. You go there, you check in for minicamp, and nobody is expecting you. You go there to check in, and you find out it's not real. Man, you get your heart ripped right out of your chest, and you're embarrassed. And it's not even your fault. I mean, I'd call it a gut punch, but that doesn't begin to do it justice to me. You know, you know what? It's not a gut punch. It's a cheap shot. Man, it's dirty pool. It's bad. Really bad. And, and not only that, but the least funny thing ever. Nobody's looking at that like, oh, yeah, dude, that was funny, man. Good one. Like, what kind of an a-hole does something like that? much less gets off on doing something like that. And then what is Bryant supposed to do with something like that? Go find that guy? Break his face? You can imagine that he'd want to, but that's not how he's handling it. He's handling it like a boss, all class, taking the high road. He said, quote, I do not know or understand why this happened to me, but I do know that everything happens for a reason. Yes, this was heartbreaking for me, but just another stepping stone that I'm not afraid to admit or overcome. At the end of the day, this will not make or break me. I will still continue to fight for my dreams because I know it's what I really want. End quote. What a classy, classy response, man. Classy as hell. I have nothing but respect for Bryant in this whole thing and nothing but disrespect and disdain for whoever the a-hole was who did that to this guy. And let me say what Bryant won't say. If somebody texted Bryant pretending to be Dean Pease and pretending to invite him to the Falcons minicamp, if somebody actually did do that, man, you're a piece of garbage. Garbage. Complete and total garbage. garbage. And if that's your idea of funny, man, you're not funny. You're not clever. You're not original. That's not cool. It's one of those moments where I wish I was still on Showtime. Jim Rome on Showtime. Because then, if that did go down like that, I could give you the words I really want to use in this moment. But if you did this, that goes so far beyond a jerk move. If you want to prank somebody, man, fill their car with popcorn. Wrap plastic over the toilet. But you don't mess with somebody's dreams the way somebody allegedly messed with this guy's dreams. Not cool. And it goes way beyond jerk move. That's a D move right there. So if you did something like that and you're sitting at home right now laughing about that, like, yeah, man, look how pissed Rome is. Got seven minutes out of Rome, too. You're not getting over. You're just showing the world that you truly are a loser in life. Do something like that and you're telling the world, man, life is kicking my ass up and down the block. Then again. It is much easier to jerk with somebody else's dream than to actually do the work required to realize your own dream. Am I right? Nothing cool or funny about that story. In fact, it's brutal. Just brutal. 1-800-636-8686. What's next? Are you going to get 
the phone number to some little kid in an orphanage and say, we can't wait to bring you home. You're our new son. Psych. We hate kids. We're not doing that. Come on. What's next? You can call somebody up on a transplant list. Organ transfer. Organ transplant. Hey, you know that kidney that you've been looking for and waiting for? We're a perfect match. You can have mine. Psych! Why the hell would I give you my kidney? I don't know you. Come on, man. He is Pierre McGuire. Pierre, it's been a moment or two. It is so good to have you back. Pierre, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, Jim. Great to talk to you. Listen, great to talk to you. Sorry I'm a few minutes late coming in, but better late than never. You were on the call. I want to jump right into it. You were on the call for game one of Minnesota and Vegas. What do you make of the manner in which Minnesota showed up, held Vegas without a goal in regulation, and then went on to win in overtime one nothing? It was kind of a carryover from what happened during the regular season. They played eight times, and Minnesota won five, lost one in regulation, and then got two loser points. So it's kind of what happened uh, during the regular season, Jim, when you really think about it. They relied on real good goaltending um, from uh, their entire team when it came to defensive concepts. And I think more than anything else, their coach was not overmatched by Peter DeBoer, the coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. I thought Dean Evison did a fantastic job with the Minnesota Wild. So when you put it together, a hard-fought game, a real good game, an excellent game, and I thought uh, something that's going to lead to a very long series between these two teams. It was a great game. Now, they've done very well against Vegas all season long. Vegas did finish tied for the most points in the regular season, but Minnesota did match up well and play them tough. Let me jump to the next thing, Pierre, quickly. The Islanders... Beat the Penguins 4-3 in overtime. All four goals that Pittsburgh allowed were glove side. So is that just a bad game for Tristan Jerry, or is that the result of good scouting and a good game plan for the Islanders? How do you explain something like that? It's some real good scouting, and scouts don't get enough credit at this time of the year. Uh, It's also the players paying attention to the game plan presented by Barry Trotz, the coach, and it's Tristan Jerry not playing particularly well especially on the short side. You can't be giving up two short side goals in one NHL game, especially at this time of the year. So that's something he's going to have to reflect on. Mike Buckley's the goalie coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm sure they're studying some tape right now, but they'll have to make an adjustment to him. The, the thing about the Islanders, Jim, they are built for playoffs. They're, just, they're big, they're physical, um, they're tough to play against. In-zone coverage is fantastic. Neutral zone play is really good. They block a ton of shots. They're just a hard, hard team to play against. Pierre, you are locked in. Is this uh, – you pretty happy about this time of year or what? How happy are you the <laughs> yeah, playoff hockey is back? How happy are you the playoff hockey is back? How good does that feel? Uh, it feels fantastic, Jim. I think the biggest thing is just see what our players have gone through to get to this level. Um, I'm really impressed by how they've kept it together. This was probably a season unlike any season any players ever experienced um, because of the way that the division play was and the fact that you played in your division eight times. Um, you were doing more like baseball series than regular hockey series. Uh, hockey players are creatures of habit. They're used to being in a rhythm. This kind of season took them out of rhythm, but I thought they all handled it fantastically well, and I thought their behavior, especially away from the ice, was fantastic. Pierre McGuire is joining us. Of course he is. It's the postseason. Pierre, I was really anxious to see the start of Tampa Bay in Florida. Tampa Bay wins 5-4 on Braden Point's game winner with just over 70 seconds left. Just how good was that game? 
that game was outstanding. And the biggest thing is getting Nikita Kucherov back. I mean, Nikita Kucherov made a gigantic difference in that game. He scored twice, had an assist. Their power play was in fuego. Uh, that's a big thing in Florida. It's going to have to play much more disciplined if they want to win that series. Uh, they're going to have to make a goaltending decision. I don't know which way they'll go, um, but they're going to have to make a goaltending decision in Florida. I'm not sure they're going to stick with Bobrovsky. And if they don't stick with Bobrovsky, who are they going to decide to play? Um, so that's going to be something for Joel Quenville. But that is going to be a heck of a series, very physical, very fast, lots of goals. Um, the tail of the tape, though, that leads a little bit of a favored status to Tampa. They are the defending champs, and they have Andre Vasilevsky in goal, and he's really good. And they're dangerous on that power play. Pierre Maguire is joining us. Pierre, what about Boston? Going into Game 2 tonight against Washington, off an overtime loss to the Caps in Game 1. How important is it then for Boston to make a statement and a stand this evening? They have to, and one of the things Boston has to do is they've got to neutralize the depth players of the Washington Capitals. And I'm talking about Lars Eller, who's a very good depth player for the Washington Capitals. I'm talking about uh, Nick Dowd, who got the game-winning goal in overtime. Uh, Carl Hagelin, who's won Stanley Cups in Pittsburgh. Um, and the biggest thing is a kid that played at Andover. Um, and, and, you know, you watch him play and you say, man, oh, man, how did this guy not play at a higher-end school? But when you, you watch all their players play, and I'm talking about the Washington Capitals, there's a purpose to their game. They're really physical. They're nasty to play against. They're hard to play against. And um, that makes it, you know, I think one of those things where Pittsburgh, yeah, well, Boston's going to have to match their physicality. And if they don't, then it's going to be a real problem. Garnet Hathaway, by the way, is the name of that player that I want to tell you about. That's, that's just done unbelievably well. Kid out and over the plate at Brown. Right. Pierre McGuire joining us. Pierre St. Louis is at Colorado this evening. You are on the call for that. Yep. What are you expecting to see from that matchup? The speed of Colorado has to be neutralized by the physicality of St. Louis. And if it's not, then it's going to be a problem. Nathan McKinnon had 14 points this year, the best player for Colorado. He had 14 points against St. Louis during the regular season. That's something that St. Louis is going to have to try to control. It'll probably be a matchup between Ryan O'Reilly, Jim, and Nathan McKinnon, and I would tell you that Ryan O'Reilly can handle that matchup, but it's the players around McKinnon, whether it's Gabriel Landeskog or Mikko Rantanen, they're going to have to find a way to control those guys because if they do shut down McKinnon, that gives a lot more room to those other two players, and that's where the issue comes. So it's going to be the speed of Colorado versus the physical intensity of St. Louis, and if St. Louis can win that physical intensity battle, they got a chance, but if they can't, then they're going to have a problem with the speed of Colorado. Right, so, Pierre, I just referenced you are really, really locked in. I think that nobody loves the NHL playoffs the way you do. I know, and I know from talking to you about your schedule and your approach, I'm really curious about the process, though. What's the rest of your week like, and then how do you go about preparing for each of these games? Okay, well, yesterday I was in Vegas, as you said, took the red eye back east. Uh, I'm working in the studio with my partner, Johnny Forslund, tonight, calling that St. Louis-Colorado game tomorrow. I'll leave my house at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'll fly to Pittsburgh. I'll do the Pittsburgh Islander games with Johnny tomorrow. Fly back on uh, Wednesday, do Colorado-St. Louis Wednesday night in the studio. Thursday, I'll be on Long Island to do Islanders in Pittsburgh. Friday, I'll be back in the studio to do Colorado-St. Louis. Saturday morning, I'll leave my house at 6, fly to Minnesota, do the Minnesota Wild game on the big NBC with Vegas on uh, Saturday night, and then I will fly back Sunday and work in the studio, Colorado-St. Louis on Sunday, and then Monday, 
I'll fly to Pittsburgh for Pittsburgh and Islanders. That, that's absolutely insane that you would even know that schedule, much less lay it out or actually execute it. So what's the key? Is it rest? Is it hydration? Is it nutrition? <laughs> I mean, what exactly is this? Um, being a good boy after games, uh, making sure you get to the gym every day, Jim, hydrate as much as possible and eat lots of vegetables and pasta. How's that? Yeah, that's good. Pierre, I was going to ask you about the gym because I know that's part of the process. So during the pandemic, how were you getting your workouts in? What kind of workouts were you Peloton, doing? Peloton, Jim, I'm an addict. I'm a Peloton addict. I, I can't, uh, I don't know who the founder of Peloton was, but I can tell you one thing. It has been an amazing thing for me, and I'm grateful for it, and I love being on it all the time. I do the same. What kind of rides do you do? How long are your rides? Uh, I do 45-minute rides or 30-minute rides, and then I you know, compound the 30-minute rides with a lot of upper body work and things like that. So I've got some favorite instructors. Who? Hannah Frankson. I like Hannah a lot. Hannah Corbin, I like her. Emma Lovewell's really good. Um, Jen Sherman, uh, she's very good, especially on weekends. I like her rides on weekends, so lots of, lots of favorites. I know who you're talking about. I like them all. I also ride with all of them as well. NBC hockey analyst. He was a scout and assistant coach for the Penguins and part of the organization's back-to-back Stanley Cups, and my man is getting it done, Pierre. Appreciate you very much. Great to have you back on the show. Have yourself an amazing month, and by the way, we'll probably run into each other before then, so I'll talk to you soon. I know I will. I look forward to it, Jim. Thanks a lot. Be safe, and thanks so much for your support of hockey, Jim. Jim, I'm telling you right now, it matters so much. Your, your passion for the sport matters a lot, and we're really grateful. Thanks, Jim. Good night now!